This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. This is Raise Your Game. I'm Christine Wong. And one major thing we are learning about the office is that empathy goes a long way towards productivity, teamwork, and long-term leadership. And in 2021, it's time to humanize the workplace. To help me discuss that is Mark Bilton, a leadership advisor and the managing director of Thought Patrol. Yes, so I run Thought Patrol, which is a leadership advisory practice. So I work with leaders, helping them be the best they can be. Uh, But the idea behind Thought Patrol is to reframe leadership and humanize the workplace. So we run strategy sessions, leadership development. I work one-on-one with CEOs and uh, and business owners, uh, and also do some board, some board advisory work. So it's it's relatively broad in the leadership space, but it's all around humanizing the workplace. Mm-hmm. And before we get into uh, some of the advice and some of the uh, insights that you have for us, how did you come up with uh, Thought Patrol? Well, I was a, I was a CEO for twenty years, ran six different companies. And my last corporate role was was group managing director at Gloria Jeans Coffees, running 20 countries and uh, doing the turnaround there. So it was in a real mess um, and spent uh, almost three years there taking it through to uh, a sale to retail food group, for 165 million. So it was a massive job, 40 countries, lots of dysfunction. Um, and after that, I had to lie down for a year after that. It was pretty full on. Um, so I thought, what am I going to do for the this next season of my life, having done 20 years um, CEO type work from small business right through to multinationals? And you know, I really enjoy lead- leadership and I enjoy spending time with leaders. And I started my career as a shop assistant in a menswear store in New Zealand uh, with a zoology degree. So not an auspicious start from a leadership perspective. Um, and so it's, my life has been a leadership learning uh, experience, and I wanted to get alongside other leaders and help them be the best they can be. So since you are so passionate about leadership, what would be some leadership advice you would give to, I guess, three types of leaders, right? So let's start with people who are aspiring to be leaders, much like you were in the beginning of your career. What kind of advice would you yeah. give someone who wants to become a leader? Well, I think the, the first thing is a mindset. You know, often when people want to be want to be a leader, then uh, they feel like they should act in a certain way. Um and almost follow an artificial construct of what a leader is. Whereas, you know, I think staying genuine, staying, uh, keeping your own values, um, just being who you are, being your authentic self, I think is a great start. You don't have to sort of construct it. Um, so if you're an aspiring leader, you know, stay true to who you are, stay authentic, keep your values. Uh, but wherever you are, add value, like go the extra mile, do the things you need to do to help those around you and, and lead wherever you are. So, you know, it's a, it's a skill set. Um, as well as uh, an aptitude, uh, but you have to think about it. So leading you know, wherever someone is in an organization, they can get alongside their peers or people around them and help them develop and grow and and exercise leadership wherever they are. Mm-hmm. And uh, how about those who uh, may not necessarily want to be leaders but have leadership thrust upon them uh, for the first time? Mm-hmm. What <laughs> what kind of advice would you have for new leaders? Yeah, I think the one of the mistakes that new leaders make, I think, is that suddenly they think people are working for them, whereas really some people think that um, they work for you, but you actually you work for them. So it's it's not you lording it over them. It's very much about you serving them and uh, and helping them helping them develop and helping them be effective where they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that you know, I think that's a mistake that uh, new leaders make. Suddenly that people are working for them. But uh, staying grateful, I think, is good too. You know, sometimes when we become leaders, we can get a bit full of ourselves. We can read our own press. Um, and it's good to stay grateful, stay humble, and remember what it was like to be on the other side of the table. 
mm-hmm. and and get alongside people. Just help them help them develop their gifts and their talents and their abilities. Um, you know, really look at uh, serving those uh, around around them. Mm-hmm. And what is some advice you would give to leaders who are already very well established uh, or who have been leaders for a very long time? There's always something new to learn, right? There is. Yeah, I've been in the leadership game for a long time, and I'm still learning things. So. You know, I think most people uh, realize that they're, you know, they're not, they're not there yet. And I think genuinely with leadership, there's a, there's a need to keep learning. The the environment's changing so quickly. We've got so many things going on um, that uh, staying ahead of that curve and understanding how to operate well as a leader in a changing environment is pretty critical. You know, one thing I think that established leaders sometimes underestimate is the value of culture. Um, you know, if you create the right culture, you, you build engagement. If you build engagement, you get productivity, which means you get things done. And sometimes I think in the in the drive for productivity, we go into a control mentality rather than creating a culture that people want to be a part of. And, and it gets underestimated. A lot of established leaders are still on that, on that learning curve. Mm. Uh, could you expand a little bit more about what you mean by control mentality? Sure. Um, I think it's... I think, you know, the Industrial Revolution brought us a lot of good things. Uh, leadership was part of that, that whole piece of um, control, so a control-led, control-led uh, mentality around leadership where I do the thinking, you do the doing. Mm. Uh, and I think what's being exposed now in an environment that is so dynamic and so changing so quickly is that you can't think fast enough, you can't, um, you can't control things to the degree that you think you can. So if you have a much more open, transparent um, uh, leadership style where you're empowering people and much more collaborative, then you're much more likely to be able to be flexible, much more likely to have people that are engaged and want to be a part of what you're doing. And so you can really move from compliance to commitment. I think that's a massive difference. And most you can get with control is is uh, compliance. Mm-hmm. But if you have a bit more of an authentic, uh, you know, empowering type leadership style, then uh, you you can move to commitment. Mm, so essentially, uh, instead of people having to do things that you ask them to do, they want to do those things. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. And and particularly if things are changing quickly, then it's it's hard to have all the answers. For sure. Now, uh, you're also a mentor uh, for various people as well. And I think, you know, we've talked about men- mentorship quite a, b- a lot on uh, on the show, but I always enjoy, you know, asking about the process of finding the right mentor because not every mentor-mentee matchup is going to be perfect. In, it's my personal opinion that it takes a lot of work. So, um, you know, what what uh, what insights can you give on finding the right mentor for you? I think the first thing is probably knowing what you want. You know, why do you want a mentor? Is it just sort of nice to have? You know, what what, what specifically do you want to to um, experience, you know, in a, in a mentor-mentee relationship? What do you want to get out of it? And I think the good mentor-mentee relationships uh, work well if if the person being mentored actually has a really clear perspective on what it is that they're wanting to get out of um, out of the relationship. Um, so you know, is it a is it leveraging the experience of the of the of the mentor? Is it you know you're stuck somewhere in the way that you're leading? Um, you know, what's you know, what is it you actually? Where's that point of resistance that you want to overcome? And then finding someone who you respect um, who is also a bit of a listener. Um, you know, some some mentors sort of pound their chest and want to give all the answers, but sometimes I think it's just wise to, to listen. Um, and, and also some, you know, I think it goes without saying, if you're going to have a mentor, have someone who's 
been where you want to go. Mm-hmm. You know, someone with uh, with good with good experience. Mm. And then on the flip side, you know, what makes a good mentor? Yes. Um, look, I think because uh, there, there are certain mentors that just want to like the sound of their own voice, um, and uh, a lot of business leaders in particular, we're, we're, we're fairly strong individuals as a as a group, um, and so I think good mentors can park the obvi- what they think is an obvious answer and allow and share experiences to allow um, a mentee to construct their own solutions rather than saying you should do this, you should do that. It's much more around uh, sharing experiences and giving them a smorgasbord of things that they can construct their own answers mm. within. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I think that uh, it's it's got to be like a two-way street. It's got to be a conversation, right? It can't just be a one-way, you know, uh, giving instructions, I suppose. Absolutely. No, mm-hmm. I agree with that. And I think particularly if it's a cross-generational thing, then um, those of us of an older generation can certainly learn a lot from, from millennials and new generation coming through. You know, workplace has changed a lot and, and we have a lot to learn. Yeah, for sure. I'm a big fan of uh, not underestimating the incoming workforce. So I totally agree with you there. All right. Well, it's time to take a short break, though, for some messages. Uh, But stay tuned to Raise Your Game, where I will continue to speak to Mark Bilton about humanizing the workplace and what that means, especially, of course, in the light of COVID-19. This is Raise Your Game. Stay tuned to BFM 89.9. Banish feudal mentality. BFM 89.9. The Business Station. You're listening to Raise Your Game here on BFM 89.9. I'm Christine Wong and I'm speaking today to Mark Bilton. He's a leadership advisor and the managing director of Thought Patrol. Uh, Before the break, we were talking a little bit about leadership advice for aspiring new and established leaders, as well as the concept of mentorship, what makes a good mentor, and how to find the right one. Now, uh, one of your missions in life is to humanize the workplace. So tell me a bit about why that concept is important. I think it's very important, actually. Um, It sounds pretty grandiose, humanizing the workplace, but really it's about creating an environment where people can do well. And, you know, we, we talked a little bit before about difference between control and having a much more sort of authentic leadership style and that move from com- from commitment to, to compliance. I think if you can create an environment where the individual is valued and recognize that they're valued, that you're taking into account um, a full human being, not just someone to do a, a particular role for a particular piece of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can create an environment where, where the individual is valued and, and respected, then um, you you can move to commitment. I mean, there's a lot of other things that go with that, but uh, essentially, if if that culture is right, then the engagement levels increase. When engagement levels increase, productivity increases, and that's and that's what we need to get things done. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I have a um, you know I have a mindset that I think that's a good thing to do in its own right. Um, but even if you have no altruistic um, sense that you you know you just want to create a nice environment um, and you value the individual. Um, you should still do it because you get a better commercial outcome. And I've been involved in a lot of turnarounds where uh, you know, big companies in lots of trouble, lots of uh, um, you know tough decisions to make. But even in the midst of that, creating an environment where people are communicating with, there's a level of transparency, there's a level of trust and openness. Uh, it goes a long way to getting things done, even in a tough, brutal commercial environment. Mm. Yeah, I always find that there is a sort of disconnect uh 
that happens when you tell people about a positive work culture can help with communication and trust and stuff like that. And they're like, okay, but like, what's what's the return on investment of doing this, right? But it, you know, it is definitely helpful to have a company that is more dedicated to being committed to a cause rather than just doing things because you said that because you're you're their boss and you've asked them to do it, right? So looking from the perspective of you know, a lot of people maybe they start out uh, as entrepreneurs with sort of good intentions and as they grow the company maybe they have sort of lost their way or perhaps as they're getting more corporate they're uh, kind of losing their touch with um, maybe uh, getting down to the ground in their workplace so for a company that is in that situation or that is concerned about losing that humanity as part of their growth and their expansion tell me a bit about how a company can sort of start that journey of humanizing the workplace and start to look at themselves and how they can improve yeah, it's um, it's certainly harder on scale. Like if you have you know a team of ten people and you can spend all day with them, then you know obviously you can one on one create an environment that, that makes sense. So on scale, it it is more difficult, um, and I found it certainly more difficult to the larger and larger organisations that I ran over the years. Um, but it all starts with you, the leader, and your immediate team. So if your culture comes from the top, as we know, um, so if you are genuinely engaging with them, recognizing that they're individuals, not uh, you know, uniform robot, um, and uh, you're operating in transparency. You're, you know, you're building trust. There's lots of commu- communication. You're building strategy together. Um, you know, people own what they help to create. So there's, you know, a real need to engage in those things. Um, if you're demonstrating living that, they will tend to do that with the people that they have. So you know, a cascading team type environment where you're living it, you're demonstrating it. That becomes an expectation. That's how we do things around here. Certainly a values exercise that is uh, genuine where you are asking people what sort of environment they like to work in um, and then acting on that in a way that's constructive um, can go a long way to, to building the, the, that or starting that journey into a um, an environment that's that's much more appealing for people. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like trickle-down empathy as opposed to trickle-down economics in a way. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. You know, leaders, we, we tend to think as leaders that we want to be um, impervious, have all the answers and not be vulnerable. And yet, um, as I said, you know, even in brutal commercial turnaround situations, not having all the answers, being open, being transparent, over-communicating, um, uh, not highly structured organizations, breaking down silos, breaking down politics, um, creating an environment where people are connected, um, aligned to some very clear, simple outcomes um, can go a long way to getting things done. Mm-hmm. And you were saying that you know, as as a as a company scales up, it's it, it does get harder to implement these ideas, right? So, I mean, uh, how can you sort of tell if a workplace has sort of, um, I guess, become complacent with maintaining the sort of culture? Yeah, um, I mean, go in and ask through, you know, go in and ask someone in the warehouse, a customer service person, and a and a sales rep, and you probably get a good idea of where, <laughs> of where the place is at. Sometimes you can actually even walk into a building and you can feel it just feels oppressive um, and, uh, and you know, dictatorial and, and a little bit control. So, you know, I think uh, just asking people can go a long way to, um, you know, what do they want? How do they want to um, how do they want to operate? What's mm-hmm. their experience of the of the environment and the culture? Because you can sit in a, in a leadership suite with with the good and the great and um, and have a conversation and say, yes, pat each other on the back and say everything is fine. Or you can. You can, uh, you can get in amongst the organization itself and, and really find out what's going on. Mm-hmm. Now, it must be a bit more difficult to get down to the ground and do something like that uh, in the light of the advent 
of remote working and uh, even things like uh, split shifts where people, you know, half the office is in one week, half the office is on another week. Uh, And in general, sort of the shift towards a a less traditional style of working where, you know, not all of your team are going to be as accessible as they once used to be. So, you know, how how can you get down to the ground in this kind of situation? And how does that affect uh, a company's efforts to humanize the workplace? Yeah, I think one of the one of the ironies uh, or the paradoxes of um, COVID is that it's never been easier to, to get hold of people because you know where people are. You know, you just you can you can connect. You can put twenty of your staff in a room uh, very easily, even though it's remote. So the face to face, I don't think anything beats face to face. But online, uh, Zoom or whatever connection, however you want to connect, is actually a very close second. Uh, I think the the issue is though that. Uh, the communication levels need to increase at a time of crisis. So if you normally connect once a month, you'd have to connect once a week. If you normally connect once a week, it has to be every day. So there's a there's a level of commitment to connection um, that uh, that can be quite onerous. Um, but there's a need to do that. And uh, you know, as we come into the sort of new abnormal and as uh, things you know start to at least come back to some semblance of normality, then. Uh, even with remote workforces, getting them together physically every so often, every period of time is good and then back out again. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've got a lot of my clients now are wrestling with this, you know, hybrid workforce where um, with some restrictions in some areas, you can't get people together and other areas, you know, you can't get them together at all. Um, and with some, there's a lot more, there's a lot more chance to get face to face. But, you know, the world has moved and we have worked out that you can do quite a lot uh, remote. Um, and I don't think it'll all go there. I mean, YPO, the Young Presidents Organization, which I'm a member of, um, they did a survey uh, and, you know, there's a couple of thousand CEOs um, replied to the survey and an overwhelming majority, I think it was 75%, um, said we'd come back to some sort of hybrid. So they wouldn't go completely remote. They wouldn't go bring everyone back into the office. They would go to some kind of mix between uh, remote workforce and together back in the office. Mm. So it's, it's hard to get that balance, but certainly uh, we have to think about it. I think, I, don't, I think if you just ignore it, um, it's not going to go well. You need to stay, stay connected to your people, whether it's remote or whether it's uh, in person. Absolutely. And, you know, you were mentioning that uh, some of the people that you've spoken to have been, have been struggling, right? It's been a difficult time for all of us. Um, but I think, you know, uh, a question that I really want to ask you before we wrap up is how do you think, you know, if it has, uh, how do you think our expectations for what a leader needs to be has changed? Uh, I think they've changed a lot. I think the prevailing command and control type leadership is probably still the prevailing model, but it's fundamentally challenged. Mm. We do need to have a much more authentic approach. We do need to connect better, build trust, um, have more transparency, communicate more, um, and uh, you know allow people to be empowered to make decisions in a lot flatter management and a lot flatter organizations that are much more uh, lean and agile if we're going to keep up with the pace of, of change as we as we see it right now. Mm, All right. Well, thank you very much, Mark, for speaking to me today. Uh, If people want to find you, where can they get a hold of you? Uh, Thoughtpatrol.com. Everything's on there. All right. Well, that was Mark Bilton, a leadership advisor and the managing director of Thought Patrol. And today we were talking about humanizing the workplace. You've been listening to Raise Your Game. I'm Christine Wong. And if you've missed any of today's show, you can download the podcast on uh, our app that's available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also head over to our website, bfm.my slash podcast. You have been listening to BFM 89.9. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.